Hello, and welcome back to Best of Shows, a weekly conversation about the biggest things happening on the small screen and a guide to what TV is and is not worth your time. I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, and Darren, I'm joined by my fellow EW TV critic and uh, TV junkie, Darren. Darren, welcome. It's so wonderful to have you back. Kristen, it's so wonderful to be back. Kristen, we're both parents now. We can connect on such a deep (laughs) and sleepless level in a way that uh, we could not previously on this show. Um, So glad to be back and so glad to be back doing specifically what we're doing right now, Kristen. This is really exciting. Let me tell you, I am so happy to have you back, not just because I had to review Carnival Row in your absence. (laughs) Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. It's November, which means we're nearing the end of the year, and it's currently 2019, which means we're also nearing the end of the decade. Finally. Yes. To commemorate this momentous occasion, Darren, you and I are going to spend the next several weeks celebrating the best television of the decade. Each episode of Best of Shows will focus on a different genre, and this week, we're going to kick things off with the best of reality TV. So, Darren, before we start, do you want to explain our parameters for what qualifies in our best of decades list and what we're talking about for reality? Yeah, Kristen, you know, for the best of the decade, we are looking at anything that aired from 2010 onwards. Now, uh, this does encompass TV series that may have debuted before 2010, but those shows will only be considered for the episodes that aired from 2010 onwards. Uh, To pick an example that may or may not come up, that means that uh, for Friday Night Lights, we would only consider the East Dillon years. (laughs) Uh, you know, that is a show that kind of ran right around the edge of the decade. It's yep, undeniably yep. a good show, but we'll only be able to, uh, for the purposes of this uh, essential look back at the decade, uh, we'll only be counting the stuff that aired in the 2010s. Now, this episode, Kristen, is, ex- is an exciting one to kick off with because it's the reality episode. Yes. And I think it's fair to say that a question on everyone's lips this decade was, what is reality anyways? Um <laughs> We initially were going to be separating this up into different categories. The categories were going to be competition, non-competition, and news and documentary. Uh, We decided not to do that for all kinds of reasons, uh, but mainly because there's a lot of shows we wanted to get into in a more in-depth way and separating them out into categories might have felt squeezed. Um, That said, Kristen, you know, we are still kind of broadly working within those definitions of reality television. And nevertheless, right before we recorded, a show occurred to me that totally blew up my list that we'll have to talk about a little bit later in the show um, because because I think it qualifies but uh, I'll have to get your learned opinion on that Um, but so so that's roughly what we're doing each week we're taking these kind of these defining genres for television and trying to come up with our respective lists uh, for the shows that we love the most this decade all right that sounds good so Why don't you want to kick things off with your first pick for best reality shows of the decade? We're each going to, I believe, have five. Yes, uh, we're each going to have five this week. And my first pick, Kristen, is a show about something that I never think I like until I watch a show about it and think I really love it. And that thing is football, and the show is Last Chance You on Netflix. Uh, Last Chance You, which comes from a documentarian, Greg McLean. It is a, a docu-series where each season is set at a junior college, and you're looking at a football team going through their entire season. The mm-hmm. first two seasons were set at East Mississippi Community College. Uh, I'll be honest, I've only really 
really seen in depth the latter two seasons, three and four, which were all about Independence Community College and the sort of tenure of Coach Jason Brown, one of the more fascinating and somewhat apocalyptic figures to ever appear on television this year. Um, Last Chance You is an incredibly involving and addictive kind of panoramic look at a small town, at the junior college system. Um, It has an incredible dexterity for juggling its focus on a lot of the people involved. Of course, the players are always um, explored in a really in-depth way. You're so often seeing these young men who, for the most part, are coming from very far away. For the most part, they're African-American men. Uh, Many of them are kind of looking at football as their chance, not only for themselves, but for their family and and for the people around them. Um, You know, it, it really is. I feel as if sports storytelling has just gotten so much more um focused on the on the on, on the life around sports and this is certainly an example of that um and last chance you was great at kind of looking at some of the problems of the modern day mm-hmm. uh, junior college system the modern day college system you know this show kind of happening right as we are going into what seems like a pretty profound shift in the definition of college athletes uh, it, it, it's sort of a wonderful look at the problems of that system and all that being said you sort of watch every episode saying like wow like football is problematic sports are problematic you know is 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 this is this a thing that is both you know tormenting our young men with concussions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and traumatic brain war wounds. injuries. Exactly. You know, that's covered in depth. Um, it also seems to be kind of ruining social fabric. And yet, Kristen, Last Chance You is incredibly exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned uh, Friday Night Lights, which I think is, you know, that term, both uh, Buzz Bissinger's book and then the show that inspired it, you know, that's kind of the definition of this kind of storytelling, the right. kind of small town around the team uh, form of, of narrative. And much like the show, you know, so many episodes of Last Chance You are ultimately built around a game. And, you know, it is just so involving and wonderful to be to, to get into the excitement of this all, especially when you know just how, how many terrible things have gone into it. Yeah. Um, I, I find it to be just, you know, it, it is one of the great binges of the decade to kind of just dig through, um, you know, one entire season of this show. It's very hard to stop watching after only two or three episodes. You know, I have not watched it in part just because I'm sort of very anti-football now. But I that said, I did very much enjoy a similar t- series uh, called Two-A-Days, which was on MTV um, in the in 20, 2007, I believe, 2006, yeah. 2007. And it was essentially, you know, an MTV version of these, you know, of Friday Night Lights with these adorable emo teenagers <laughs> at Hoover High in Hoover, Alabama, with their hair swept over their face. So, you know, and you, it really did. Like, you, it followed their lives and the importance of football in it. And so I get the appeal of a show like that for sure. Uh, I just, I don't know that I could take this on now simply because it's like... Uh, <sighs> With what we know now about, like, basically how football ruins lives, you know? Totally. But that said, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it's a heavy watch. And it's a heavy watch in a lot of other ways, too. I mean, you know, one of the subtexts, certainly, of of the indie seasons is that, you know, Indy is a small town, largely white town. Almost all of the players that you follow are Mm African-American men from, you know, from elsewhere who've kind of come here. This is their last chance. This is their chance to kind of make a career out of football in the long term, which is such a long shot already. Um, um, and, you know, so there's a lot going on with that dynamic. But, you know, with the show itself, you're kind of watching it and you're saying, like, you know, this show is so addictive. 
you know, I'm not sure how much these people are being paid to appear on this show. <laughs> like, I, you know, like, I mean, I, I, would sort of, I would sort of classify Last Chance You as it has the feel of a great docu-soap of something you might yeah. see on Bravo, but it just happens to be an exceptionally intelligent and well-done version of that. Um, but, you know, it, it it is a kind of, it is a thinker of a show, and, and, and I like that about it. But I, I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I think, you know, there is an aspect to all football now where you watch it and you're kind of like, is this going to be like when we see people people chain smoking in movies of yes, the 40s where like, it's just oh, like, don't. we're going to look back and say, how could we you know support this socially? So I, I totally hear you on that and would just say that the show, the show certainly leaves room for the awareness of, you know, the possibility that these young men are kind of ruining themselves, even as they are kind of doing this under the really faint hope that this will be the this will be the thing that makes them millions it's just such a it it has down to its core that feeling of the last desperate chance and i, I think it's just so um it, it, i'm so happy that it exists because it just brings together all these things that were in the culture um this uh this decade and so last chance you is on netflix yes mm-hmm. all right so uh, you know, look. First, I need to make a, a disclaimer before I, before I Uh-oh. start before I start my list. Um, first of all, this is a safe space. There's no judgment. This is totally safe. This is totally Second safe. Second of all, um, Kristen, there... Kristen, I specifically launched with a more serious one, yes. just because I, I wanted to announce uh, something good about myself before we get into some of the later entries. Oh no, mine are all well. Anyway. Also, I want to just say there are many successful and groundbreaking series that are not on my list, you know, like shows like Survivor, Top Chef, American Idol, Shark Tank, Project Runway. You know, these are groundbreaking, uh, long running shows, but they just didn't hold my interest as they stretched into later seasons this decade. So anyway, that's a disclaimer. Now we're going to start with my first show. It is not, you know, none of these are ranked, right, Darren? But we are not ranking. Yeah, I think, you know, that this is this show and this franchise is near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's a franchise uh, called The Bachelor. Yes. And I'm discussing like all of it. Uh, the Bachelor is currently in its 17th year, but the show and its ever expanding franchise of spin offs has gotten better as it aged. Uh, it's gotten more and more self aware. When it started, the show was a little bit more earnest and took itself seriously, and its mission to help a single man find love, quote unquote took it a little too seriously. But as the seasons went on and the relationships rarely worked out in the end, the franchise started to embrace what fans loved about the show. We're not really there to see someone find his or her soulmate. We're there to watch single people endure a series of creative humiliations in an effort to win, quote unquote, a temporary fiance and everlasting Instagram fame. (laughs) So over the decade, producers have evolved The Bachelor from a reality TV dating show into an almost real-time parody of a reality TV dating show. Every episode winks at the audience as it trolls the contestants and even its stars with hilarious chirons and strategic editing. Uh, Not necessarily deceptive editing, though I'm sure that's there too. It's more about like, you know, they will come up with a backstory for someone. Like there was this girl who had a an amusement park trauma and they did sort of like a dramatic reenactment of her amusement park trauma with like, you know, uh, sort of fuzzy footage of a little girl on the bumper cars. It was ridiculous. Uh, this decade alone has given us Jake and Vienna's rivetingly painful breakup interview. Bachelorette Caitlin Bristow declaring her sexual independence by sleeping with Nick before the fantasy suites. Ari Leyendijk Jr. Breaking off his engagement with Becca as the cameras rolled. Uh, and of course, 
Colton Underwood's Fence Jump, which was seen around the world. <laughs> Together with Bachelor in Paradise, these shows turn the fear of dying alone into an endlessly compelling spectator sport. And you know that I love it. I love it so much. I'm I'm so glad that this is on here, Kristen. You know, your 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 coverage of The Bachelor in all its forms, uh, it's it's the coverage of The Bachelor, certainly oh. as, as 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 far as I'm concerned, and 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 for the fans of the show. Um, I have largely experienced The Bachelor this season via your coverage. In fact, <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've I've probably, if I'm being honest, seen maybe like one episode a season here and there, yeah. kind of spread out between The Bachelor and Bachelorette. I'm not sure I've ever even seen. Is is it Bachelor Pad? Oh, well, the other... May it rest in peace. Pour one out for Bachelor Pad. <laughs> yes, that was yeah, the um, precursor uh, spinoff to Bachelor in Paradise. Bachelor in Paradise. Um, but I, I, you know, everything you're saying, I, I think, is so right on. Um, you know, to me. One of the interesting things about these kind of forever reality shows, yes. um, you know, the, the ones that debuted at the start of the century in the kind of first rush of reality and then have now survived every era That's since right. then. right, damn it. Um, one of the things I find interesting about it is that, you know, they've become just kind of part of pop culture. And, you know, there are now people who are entering college who don't remember a time before those shows were, were around. Right. And The Bachelor is kind of the one that, from my perspective, has kind of become a a richer and wackier and simultaneously more self-aware and yet yes. also more more kind of in more um, paid attention to in an interesting way uh, and I just think that's so interesting um, you know Kristen this decade also brought us the show Unreal mm -hmm. which you know I, I think a lot of the reasons why the first season was so great is that it did kind of feel like wow we're getting like you know in-depth behind the scenes access to what it must be like to make The Bachelor and another thing I think is very telling is that you know the deconstruction of of bachelordom um, kind of flamed out immediately, and yet the bachelor itself just kind of keeps on going on and on, and, and as right. you said, keeps on finding new ways to sort of seem to deconstruct itself. I, I just think that's really unique. Certainly, as you were saying, that's unique compared to something like the Survivors or the Amazing Races, right. which you know I know people who love those shows, but this decade I think brought something new to the Bachelor in a really interesting. Yeah, way. it definitely is no longer afraid of the fourth wall. It's no longer. It knows that a big part of the experience of viewing is the group viewing experience, you know, which is now done essentially on Twitter, although people do have group viewing parties. So it's about like, it knows it's, it's playing to the crowd more than ever. And, uh, it's something that, you know, uh, it, they have had some successful relationships and more power to them and God help us all bachelor in paradise has actually produced some successful relationships where people are married with children now. So I don't, you know, shrug emoji to that one, but like, <laughs> You know, it's it's more about like it's it is sports for me, much like I you know, I feel Big Brother is another show that I feel like it's my sports. This is my mm -hmm. sports and mm -hmm. I root for a team and then I forget who they all are as soon as the season's over. Um I don't know if that happens with sports, but with with me it's just like they're dead to me once the season's over and you know, good for them. <laughs> anyway, the point is uh The Bachelor and its franchise is one of the best of the decade in terms of reality. You can, if you want to catch up on old seasons, which I just don't feel like there's a point to it, but if you want to, you can uh, find them on Amazon Prime or YouTube. Kristen, uh, you kind of are leading into this next pick perfectly um, because, you know, I again, I, I, I like sports. I, I like reading about sports. 
I, I, I clearly enjoy watching documentaries or fiction things about sports. <laughs> but when it comes to actually watching the thing itself and getting excited for it the way that I understand sports fans do, mm -hmm. um, yeah, for me, there's a competition show that uh, really kind of captivated me for a lot of this decade. And that show is Big Brother yes! on CBS. Um, Big Brother is... It's kind of in some ways like the minimalist reality competition show, uh, you know, when it launched way back in, uh, you know, the, the dawn of, of the 21st century, the idea was essentially uh, as taken from the international versions of the show, you put people into a house for the summertime, and they just do nothing for the most part and kind of steadily plot against each other and eventually one person is named the victor um you know they've thrown in a, a lot of a lot of different kind of permutations since then and you know the the tagline is now kind of expect the unexpected because the producers don't really try too hard to make their machinations uh seem invisible right um, but this decade Kristen brought a run of seasons uh that uh, i i had not really been into the show previous to um 2010 2011 and then just got really involved in it uh, with some of the great run of seasons that, that they had. The best, of course, and really the best moment, I would say, in the history of reality competition, recently explored in depth by our colleague Dalton Ross, uh, was the season featuring Dan Geesling, the greatest player in Big Brother history. <laughs> um, and, you know, the it's season with his funeral, you mean? With his funeral. Yes. It's, it's impossible to explain it if you don't watch Big Brother. And if you do, like, there's just, there's not, there's not really a more surprising moment on television this year that someone who was clearly going to be sent out somehow wound up turning the entire house. It's, it's almost like, like, you watch what he does and you're kind of like, wow, like, this is what, like, tyrants do. Yeah. And, you know, they just, they, they totally turn the entire world around just by kind of, you know, just by using this incredible. Incredible, uh, you know, speech that he constructed. Um, but more broadly, I just, I really appreciate how Big Brother. Um, it's it's such a simultaneously relaxing and deeply tense viewing experience. Yes. Um, you know, it's 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 three episodes each week. Yes. I don't tend to get into the feeds, but I, I know a lot of people who do, and like that's an even more involving experience for them. Um, but uh, you know. Not much ever really seems to be happening, and in past you know the first few weeks, it's just comical how many conversations are happening with people just like lying on couches yeah. and in beds. They're like, so bored. There's not much. They're so bored. There's not much to do there. But the best players, most interesting players, are the ones who are kind of just constantly strategizing and watching those wheels turn is a total delight. I mean, this is this is such a summertime hoot and a holler to look forward to each year. I mean, it's it's definitely my favorite competition series, and I know you are someone who also has been pretty. pretty involved in it how do you feel like big brother did it have a similar turn at all this decade versus its its first um um batch of seasons or is it just kind of a matter of like this, these seasons have been kind of when they've had good people they've been sort of really interesting well you know the big brother is also on my list so i'll just you know give my spiel for it now too i do hooray, hooray are, are one instance of overlap i think um yeah when it premiered remember it was it premiered the same year as survivor and it's basically survivor in a house but when it first premiered it was like they literally, you know, viewers were voting, I think, and like there was an AOL component. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, sorry. And um, but like the challenges were so dumb, like they literally at one point, I swear to God, and I'm, I've probably talked about this before, but at one point they had to memorize a map <laughs> and you were watching them memorize a map anyway. Um, 
you know, now though, it really, it, it has evolved too in terms of knowing what people like about it and knowing, you know, they really, they have to create the tension. They have to create the twist to keep things because yeah, there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of downtime. Um, you know, the, the goal on each season is the same, make everyone like you while beating them in a series of physical competitions. But on Big Brother, the contestants are hornier, the strategies are nastier, and the challenges are so, so, so much dumber. Uh, you know, all <laughs> hail Otev. Like you've got people like digging through, you know, goop and, and bringing things to a, you know, a a talking clam. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and I agree with you that, yeah, that, you know, when it premiered, there were definitely good seasons in the first 10 years. Um, but this decade has been, as you said, packed with hall of fame reality moments. There's Dan Giesling's funeral, Rachel Riley warning floaters to find a life vest. Oh, God, uh, what an incredible human being. What an incredible yes, person who could only us, exist on reality television. It brought us Rachel Riley, and we've got to thank <laughs> thank the TV gods for that. Josh's upset win over Paul in season 19, which was amazing. And every reaction shot ever from human gift machine Brittany Haynes, who was in season 12 and 14. Love her. Yeah, um, she's, she's kind of one of those rare people where you're kind of like, you know what, she's cool. Yeah, and like generally I feel that... And, and I strongly believe that anyone who goes on a reality show has deep problems, like fundamentally flawed, deep emotional problems, um, you know, and that's part of what drives them to be on a reality show. Like, I have my own problems, but none of them would drive me to be on a reality show. They have a specific type of sort of attention-seeking uh, uh challenge that causes them to go on a reality show but I do think that she is one person where I feel like even though she's gone on Big Brother twice I kind of think she's normal like yeah. I think she might not be a crazy person um but I love her and you know generally Big Brother exemplifies first Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 the love of money is the root <laughs> of all evil because that is where these people go wrong. Like, you know, they come in thinking, I'm going to play a good game. I'm going to play a clean game. Game. I'm going to be honest. And as the tedium and the paranoia and the, you know, being cooped up as the cabin fever gets to them, they just start focusing more and more on, I got to walk out with the money or else this will all have been yeah, wor worthless. Yeah. And yeah. The experience of watching the cabin fever set in is interesting. I will say too, Kristen, you know, there, there have been some interesting seasons on the show where, um, you know, you've kind of had these things happen where, again, as someone who mainly watches the show on television, you'll kind of become aware of the things that aren't being shown on TV, mm -hmm. you know, the, the things that are only in the feeds. Very often it'll come down to uh, contestants saying something horrifically racist. Right. There racist was one person, or sexist. Or... There, was, there was one person in particular whose name I, I, I'm not going to even mention because she doesn't deserve any, any more showcasing. But it was interesting to see how the show kind of seemed to be realizing it needed to address that issue yeah. in real time and you know I, I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say that the, the brother is good with that material no. but I, I do think that you know it's interesting watching the show trying to grapple with that stuff and it kind of has to do it a little bit more than other shows because on the feeds people can just watch everything all the time yeah you know there's there's a little bit less as as over the top as the show on television is um you know th there's a sense like okay like we can't really obscure things as much as we can on other you know on other reality shows with much better production values you know there's right. no one has an eye on the sky on the set of of uh 
of Survivor uh, right. all season, the way they do in Big Brother. So it's just there's a lot of interesting stuff going on on a show that is, you know, largely, as you said, uh, money obsessed, sexity. It's gradually turning on each other. <laughs> Um, that, big, honestly, that's the log line right there. Exactly. Uh, big Brother is streaming in its entirety yes. on the streaming service that everyone should have, CBS All Access. Uh, Do also, it. A place, also a place to watch The Good Fight, a show I know we'll be talking about in our later, mm -hmm. possibly more serious uh, episodes of uh, Best of Shows. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Kristen, um, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Okay. Because um, there was a show that, uh, again, I, I only thought about literally 20 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> um, and I, I, I swear, this is this really did kind of upset my list. And I need I, to know I, what I, it bumped off, too. Well, but okay. well, well it, may not, it may not have bumped it off yet, because I, I do want to kind of get your ruling on, this is going to fall under the question of, quote, what is reality, uh -huh, unquote. Uh -huh. um, but uh, the comedy series Nathan For You... Uh, from mm. Nathan Fielder, uh, which is a show that I, I would have generally classified as a comedy. It is kind of in the realm of uh, stunt comedy, yeah, as prank created comedy, by, that kind of. Of, 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 of of prank comedy, exactly. The more I thought about it, um, the more I thought that this show, which ran for four seasons on Comedy Central, qualifies more in the realm of what we're talking about because Nathan Fielder, who on the show essentially played the role of a consultant who was constantly kind of going out and yeah. coming up with incredibly cockamamie schemes for helping small businesses that were inevitably somewhere in greater Los Angeles County, the level of comedy involved seems to me to be percentage-wise way less than the reality that was very often created. This was a show that right. um, it went viral a lot of times for stuff like Dumb Starbucks, which was sort of a, a hallmark moment. Um, but it also, or the I goat, think, right? The, the pig the, saving the goat. There's there, the, the pig saving the goat, uh, which became a like you know viral video that it turned out he'd sort of he'd sort of faked. Um, but I also think that um, you know it, it's a show that frequently seemed to be asking pretty interesting questions about how we create reality and how we create reality um, you know reality television even there was a classic episode where Nathan Fielder is trying to construct um, a story to tell on Jimmy Kimmel Live and it kind of becomes this whole look at how how celebrities create these stories mm -hmm. it's, there, there was so much going on there so I I do think this qualifies more as a reality show maybe reality in heavy air quotes than as a comedy um, did you watch uh, Nathan for you is, is this is this a show that was kind of on your radar either when it was on or just because of the kind of viral stuff that would um, plummet off of the show? I've definitely seen it. I've, you know, I saw, uh, like, I believe he opened up a frozen yogurt shop and had like a poop flavor. Yes. 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 Um, <laughs> there's that. And, you know, I saw the goat and the pig or whatever. And, you know, I liked it. It wasn't one that I ever watched with any regularity. But thinking about your explanation here, you know, at first, I was like, no, I don't think that qualifies as reality because he goes in playing a character kind of and he's, you know, there's like sort of the scripted 
you know, in his element. But then the more I think about it, and I think what you said uh, about, you know, really the comedy of the show comes from the real life interactions he has with real people once he's created this scenario. And you can't certainly rule something out as reality because there's a contrived scenario in it because all yeah. reality is contrived scenarios, you know, whether it's The Bachelor, whether it's Survivor, whatever. So judge's ruling, I'm going to say yes, it qualifies. Yes! Um, so I definitely agree. I do want to know what you bumped off your list. Um, we'll get to that in my Later. Uh, next okay. entry. Uh, okay. But, but I'm, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I, yeah. I will just say, like, by contrast, Kristen, um, you know, uh, when Sacha Baron Cohen, who yeah. would seem to be the kind of main person of this genre, uh, he kind of returned last year with Who is America, which was just awful. And, and, and that show, I would say, that is more clearly a comedy show where the comedy is kind of wedging itself yes. into these stunts. And, yeah. and, you know, and to me, what was so telling about it, and I, I love Sacha Baron Cohen's work oh. when it's good. Um, you know, it just felt like compared to, uh, you know, the stuff that was happening with Nathan for you, you just kind of felt the contrivance a little more. And yeah. I, ironically, ironically, Fielder actually wrote on the Sacha Baron Cohen show. And I, I'd be intrigued to know what that kind of collaboration was like. Um, but to me, uh, Nathan for you, which is streaming on Hulu, it, that, it's just in a in a decade that, you know, on top of everything else, I think everyone just has so much more fluency with reality television. And, and Nathan for you is to a certain extent, you know, it's kind of a sibling to something like Shark Tank. It's it's yeah. sort of a it's sort of a business reality show. It just so happens that the tactics this consultant in air quotes is taking to help these businesses are are often ludicrous. Right. Um, but that's true of actual businesses. Sure. <laughs> so like I, it's not definitely sure really not how fake it is. Yeah, it's definitely not you know outside of the realm of possibility that somebody might try to market a poop flavored yogurt. Like it's just <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, so all right, well I I'm glad that we've. Uh, We've established that, you know, reality is a is a wide category and there are certain, you know, there there are clear definitions based on like what the Emmys vote on, you know, structured, unstructured, competition, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, I think for the purposes of our conversation, you know, this is uh, and they do also, you know, lump in the next one that I'm about to talk about would probably fall in a different category like news and docuseries. Ooh. But again, this is something that I think, you know, for our purposes, we should say it counts as reality. Okay. Um, my uh, next pick is Live PD, which okay. launched in uh, 2016. And the premise of A&E's docuseries is right there in the title. Each episode features live footage of cops on the beat in eight locations across the country from Rhode Island to Missoula, Montana. And because it's live, the show can't just serve up cherry-picked selections of its most exciting moments, but Live PD turns that weakness into a strength. By tempering the car chases and bank robberies with the calmer, more workaday interactions a police officer experiences during his or her shift, the show presents a broader but also oddly mesmerizing view of law enforcement. Sometimes a routine traffic stop turns into, I don't know how that fully functional AK-47 wound up in my trunk, officer. <laughs> While other times, uh, you know, the tension will take a left turn into innocuousness as when uh, police in Calvert County, Maryland respond responded to reports of a fight in a parking lot and it just turned out it was a bunch of guys having a dance off. Um, you know, <laughs> what you learn from watching live PD is that good portion of a police uh, officer's job is pulling people over for taillights and then finding pot in their car um, or, you know, pulling them over because like, you know, their license plate is falling off or something. And then, you know, 
either it's nothing or there's meth in the car, you know, like there's a lot of that or going to, uh, going to, you know, domestic disturbance where people are arguing over such things. And all of these things have been included on live PD, um, a clogged toilet, um, uh, a, you know, a treatment of a dog, uh, a, a wild pig, uh, being, you know, let loose or a pet pig being let loose in, in the neighborhood and ripping up people's trash. Like there's, there's so much, you know, a show like cops obviously was the original and, but cops is edited in that they choose the most exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and live PD, you know, runs from 8, uh, 9 PM to midnight on Friday and Saturday nights. And so, you know, which of course across the country, it's different, different time zones, but it's really a lot of it is just people being, you know, pulled over. Um, cause they, you know, they're, they didn't use their blinker or there's some kids racing mopeds or, you know, and you really do see, Certainly, um, the tense situations that cops have to deal with, but you also see the sort of they act as therapists and counselors and, you know, just, you know, sort of community uh, outreach people. Clearly, you know, there's plenty uh, that needs to be fixed about, you know, police use of excessive force. And, and, you know, uh, certainly there's a lot of, uh, quote unquote, bad actors in the police community. But like, there are a lot of people who are just out there trying to protect and serve. And it's really like, it's comforting when you watch mm-hmm. to know that at this very moment, as we're safely ensconced in our couches at home, there are men and women out there keeping the peace, intervening in actual crimes, presiding over petty misunderstandings, and just sometimes listening to people. So, you know, who need to be heard. And uh, yeah, so I really, I really do love it. My son loves it. <laughs> you know, we watch it. Uh, we watch it a lot together. Sometimes he'll say, you know, like if some guy has been found in somebody's backyard with his pants down and he's masturbating, what's masturbating? Like, <laughs> so that's, it, it's full of teaching moments. Uh, Would love to know what that conversation was like, Kristen. <laughs> so yeah. Send some pointers. Send yeah. some pointers, please. So, um, but it's fascinating. Cassie, Kristen, so, so two things I want to say. First of all, I can't think of a more definably parental viewing time zone than 9 to 12 p.m. on a Friday and Saturday night. Right. Because you said that and I was like, yeah, like that's prime TV watching time. Like, you know, like, yeah, you know, like find, I legit you know, never leave out, the house. Like, so. like, chill out, catch up on stuff. Like, you know, there's there's no, no, no I, I, I have no interest in ever leaving yeah. the house at, 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 the, at those times anymore. Um, second thing, uh, you know, Kristen, you, you, you wrote something really wonderful about Live PD, I believe, earlier this year uh, that everybody should go read on uh, on uh, ew.com um this is a show that uh i i can't help but be worried about it because it seems like something that could go horribly wrong right, at right. some point but um you know your great description of it really made me realize that there's such a um there's something really i think lacking in the depiction of law enforcement and you know because TV fictional procedurals have just gotten so over the top this decade. And, you know, bigger budget and bigger emotions and, you know, just everything kind of bigger. 
Um, there is some interesting value. I, I love your kind of description of the sort of workaday nature of live PD, that it's kind of trying to be the anti-cops. It's not trying to be the most right. you know, dramatic and explicit version of this. Um, I, I just find that to be really, really interesting. And, you know, I, I'm not surprised that there is kind of an audience for that, because I do think that, you know, as television in general has gotten way more melodramatic than it ever has been in kind of every genre, um, I, 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 I suspect that, like, there is something really interesting about watching something that is so much about, yeah, like the the not obviously exciting stuff, mm -hmm. but but that, you know, is the constant surprise nature of the job is just something that, you know, it sounds like live PD really presents in a way that you just don't see really um, 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 anywhere else. So th 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 that's a great one to kind of work into the reality genre. Yeah. I, I and, you know, it's definitely not without it, its issues, but it also, and there's some dispute, like I think they do have a bit of a delay uh, simply so that if somebody, you know, n nothing ever, I've never seen anything violent in terms of like somebody getting shot or somebody, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and they often show you stuff that happened earlier um, in the day. But generally speaking, I think it's a, a, a good representation of, you know, what law enforcement should be mm -hmm. um, and how you know, how those uh, men and women should interact with the community. You can watch it on Hulu and on AETV, which is, I believe, AME's streaming service. Um, Kristen, the show that I'm about to talk about is precisely as important on a social level. Um, a big part of my TV intake in the 2010s was stuff that uh, you would broadly classify as the docu-soap genre, mm -hmm. um, which uh, was sort of most popularized and perfected this decade uh, by Bravo. Um, <laughs> currently, currently, Bravo Network uh, favorites that I'm, that I'm watching got your Below Decks, got your Real Housewives of New York City, which is kind of the only housewives that I really tend to watch, and mm -hmm. I, 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 mm -hmm. I think it, it's wonderful for all kinds of reasons that I cannot talk about because I have to talk about uh, a show that's become a real favorite in our household, Vanderpump Rules. Uh. Kristen, what is Vanderpump Rules, you ask? Thanks for asking. Uh, it's a spinoff of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills focused on the restaurant Sir, or rather initially focused on the restaurant Sir, now focusing on the ever-expanding industry of, of restaurants owned by uh, the great Lisa Vanderpump. Uh, it focuses largely on the people who work for her, or rather at this point in the show, used to work for her and now are doing question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, <laughs> Vanderpump Rules is kind of the perfected version of the show that I was going to have on this list before it was kicked off by Nathan for you, Jersey Shore. Um, oh. Jersey Shore, which is unquestionably a defining show of the 2010s. Uh, it launched like right at the end of the last decade. Yes. And, then, uh, for, and then for the most part, its original run and now all that's run of spinoffs has kind of run throughout uh, the 20 teens. And we most recently were talking about the latest and, and greatest spinoff where Polly D and Vinny were trying to find love. <laughs> Um, the big difference with Vanderpump Rules is that a show like this, Kristen, it's so dependent on getting a good cast of people together. And by good, I don't, I don't necessarily mean morally good. I yeah. mean people who people whose whose major issues seem to complement each other. Um, and I, I think Vanderpump Rules is kind of the best. You know, you have all these people, many of whom, when the show started, were coworkers who were who were intersecting on various in various romantic ways. Uh, then they all started to hook up with each other outside of their. Uh, 
uh, their actual uh, relationship uh, situations. And, and at this point in the show, they're all kind of beginning to resettle down and kind of maybe work into a more domestic phase of their life. And what I think is just really incredible is that the show is essentially a sitcom. It, 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 it's a real life sitcom. It's a real life workplace sitcom. Um, you know, it, it does have these moments that are incredibly dramatic and over the top. But as with everything Bravo does, there's just a great sense of humor to how they portray the people on the show. You know, you have people who just make a litany of bad decisions. Uh, Jax <laughs> Taylor, who's one of the main uh, characters, the sort of eternal bartender, um, you know, listing the mistakes that he has made in his personal life in a single episode would probably take the rest of this podcast. Um, but the show does a good job of, you know, w without quite turning him into a hero the way that so often reality shows mm -hmm. kind of have to do with their stars, it does make him like very much like a figure of fun and even pity and and the way in which he seems to be maybe self-improving himself is like one of the first arguments ever for a reality show making someone a slightly less worse person um, <laughs> but you know I, I I can't really get too self-important with this it is just an incredibly uh, addictive and fun look at you know this slice of very privileged, very plastic surgery life in West Hollywood. Um, and uh, I, I will just say that the one of the great thing about the show, um, thinking about, you know, what is reality and what are the things that we want out of reality shows. Uh, my wife made the great point, which is that the characters on this show, and they are kind of capital C characters, even though they, even though they are technically real people, um, they came to Los Angeles, they wanted to be famous, Thanks to this show, they are famous, or they're famous to whatever extent a kind of you know basic cable show with a heavy online following can be right, famous. Right, right, right. Um, but they're all tied to like this restaurant. You know, like half of them still work at the restaurant, and, and you know you can go there and on the right night see them at the restaurant. Less so now than maybe in previous yeah, seasons. Yeah. Some of them have, have kind of gone off to do other things in the Vanderpump Empire. But even the two guys who now have their own bar. You know, there is this this sort of, you know, animatronic Disney character aspect to their lives where it's like, you know, fans of the show want to go there and see you. So I, yeah. I just find that to be, you know, as a depiction of fame, I, I kind of love that. There's something very endearing slash sad about that, that they are still so tied to this version of who they were almost 10 years ago now. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, when it comes to the docu-soap genre, there, there's nothing better for me than Vanderpump Rules, even... Sorry to say, Jersey Shore, which yeah. much as I loved it, much as I love kind of all of its permutations, for me, there's like two great seasons of, of Jersey Shore and then a lot of stuff that uh, I just kept watching because of general inertia slash I'm fascinated by all those people. Right. And, you know, it's funny because I, I watch a lot of reality. I don't do much Bravo stuff. I did do... Um, I got it covered, Kristen. I know you do. <laughs> I did do uh, New York City Housewives for a while. But anytime I see a, a reality TV story where I don't recognize the person, I'm, I'm always just like, oh, that must be Vanderpump Rules. Because I know that the <laughs> tentacles of that franchise reach far and wide. And there are people who are, um, you know, related in like you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, of somebody on Vanderpump Rules and they become famous. And so, it, you know, I, 
I appreciate your love for it. Uh, I don't share it, but I understand it. And um, I believe you can just watch it like it's basically on all the time. Or is there a place to stream it's, it? Like, yeah, you, you, would, would you yeah, recommend uh, going back and watching old seasons if you've I, never seen I it? Would, I would recommend it. Although this is another show where I, I kind of just dove right in uh, with one of the reunion episodes. The Bravo reunions, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, that's if, a work of art. If, if, if Bravo reunions were a show, it yeah. would be uh, probably like, if, if not my first, very high up there for reality uh, TV shows and, and that's a full credit to Andy Cohen yes. who's kind of he's kind of become like the Edward R. Murrow of reality television <laughs> which which is because, <laughs> because like you know as, as ridiculous as the people he's interviewing are God love him he always asks the million questions that I want asked and yeah, my favorite he knows. thing my favorite thing about him is he'll always kind of go to like oh like so and so on Twitter this fan had this to say and I don't know but I'm 90% sure it's like no like that's that's that is an awkward question that, that you want to Kind of, yeah, you want the kind of air cover, but I just, I, I you know, I, I've certainly become very deep into Bravo. I will say too, Kristen, if we're talking about surreal reality moments, there was something that happened on Vanderpump Rules that has stuck with me in a deep way, where uh, a couple of the people on the show, uh, Stassi Schroeder uh, and her friends slash enemies, um, they went and visited these friends that they had made in the Hamptons. And there was a whole subplot and episode about them like hanging out in the Hamptons and kind of, you know, one of the guys who was a friend of a friend got too drunk and was flirting with her in the hot tub. Sure, it was a whole sure, thing, Kristen. Sure. And then Vanderpump Rules, the episode was kind of ending. And then it just became the pilot episode of Summer House. And you were like, oh, like the friends they were visiting in the Hamptons are the stars of this new show. There was there was no credits. It just went straight from like, like you were watching people like, wow, OK, they're visiting people. No, these, this is a new show. It's like a spinoff. It, it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And it made me feel as if, you know, there there, there will come a time where every single person on Earth has their own that uh, is, Bravo reality that show. That is pure evil genius. And I applaud. <laughs> yeah, way to go. Uh, Bravo. I applaud Bravo. Way to go, Bravo. Nice so, work. Yeah, do do catch up on Vanderpump on Hulu, and uh, it, it is returning to Bravo sometime soon. And I, I, I for one, cannot wait. All right. I, I have two more shows in my queue here, and I'm going to go with the smart one first so that uh, we don't go from Vanderpump to something else dumb. Um, no offense to Vanderpump. Um so my next show is Scientology and the Aftermath. Full title, Ooh. Leah Remini, colon, Scientology and the Aftermath. And, you know, this decade has been a boon for documentary series like Making a Murderer and 30 for 30. But for me, the most fascinating and fiercely original docuseries was Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. In 2013, the actress left Scientology after more than 30 years. And since then, she's devoted a great deal of her life to exposing that cult's many and wide-ranging alleged abuses of its members. Let me stop here and say that representatives for Scientology deny all of their claims. And let me say that uh, they say that Remini is a religious bigot. They say anybody who says anything about them is a religious bigot. Fine. Historically, Scientology has sued, smeared, and harassed anyone who criticized their organization, which makes it all the more impressive, effective, and brave for Remini to front this series. The show has delivered over 37 hours of riveting and horrifying and incredibly emotional interviews with former members who detail countless tales of alleged abuse, families forced to quote-unquote disconnect from each other, members being denied proper treatment for psychiatric or substance abuse issues, children doing hard labor rather than attending school, to name just a few. Through it all, Remini owns up to her long history with this organization, how she gave them millions of dollars and defended it in the press for years. 
nor does she shy away from calling out Scientology's most powerful celebrity members like Tom Cruise and John Travolta, Danny Masterson, for turning a blind eye to these claims. Um, she is like, I just think she's doing the Lord's work. I think you know, I'm fascinated by cults. Scientology claims it's not a cult, says it's a church, you know, whatever. Please go ahead and at me, Scientology, whatever. But uh, this is something that she's really done something brave by telling, giving people a forum to tell this story in a place where they, they have more cover than they would if they tried to tell it on their own, you know, because people are harassed, they're followed, they're you know, they're intimidated into not telling their story once they leave the quote unquote church. But in fact, uh, you know, she went deep in these episodes, 37 episodes, the show wrapped up this year, uh, exposing all the different ways that they have sort of abused their power, abused their tax exempt status, how the FBI has failed, how the government has failed, how law enforcement has failed in, in large part due to sort of chummy relationships. Uh, and so I just, I'm really fascinated by it. I hope she continues to do her work. She said she had, she will. And, you know, I think she's done a lot of good and hopefully save some people from, you know, joining an organization that really, uh, is, you know, at its heart, I think sinister. I mean, I think it's really incredible and brave what she's done because, you know, uh, Kristen, People don't tend to think of Los Angeles as a, a city full of paranoia and terror. Yeah. Um, but but when it comes to Scientology, it kind of is and has been um, for many decades now. And, you know, I, I have to believe that, you know, she's doing this in the context of a TV show and as someone who is incredibly famous and you'd think incredibly protected. And even so, um, I'm sure there's a part of her that's concerned, especially as she kind of explores more and more of the uh, often, you know, just, just the, the snake-like ways in which Scientology can sort of affect people and can affect their life. Um, it, this is not a show that I watched uh, really at all, Kristen, although I certainly did experience its kind of ramifications quite a bit. I, I think it was kind of one of the signal entries in the kind of, you know, the greater Scientology story of, of this decade, yeah. um, which is just kind of endlessly fascinating, even when it's horrifying. Uh, th this was also the decade that brought us uh, Lawrence Wright's book, Going Clear, mm -hmm. uh, which was made into the HBO documentary that I know a lot of people uh, saw and yeah i i i um, you know i'm fascinated to see where her work kind of goes from here um because you know scientology itself it is a it's kind of a, a remarkably only in America, maybe even only in Hollywood kind of story. Yeah. Um, and, and the ways in which it kind of touches all these aspects of celebrity and all these mm -hmm. aspects of, you know, the, the, the way that the money kind of flows through it. Um, I, I have to imagine it's, it's just pretty daunting, I think, to think of someone tackling that. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Do you, do you worry for her again? Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I worry for her. Like, I worry you know, for her, her. And I think if she turns up dead, Scientology will have done it. I, I've said that before, and I will say it again. Like, I do worry for her. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's already, there's, over the years that this show has been on, um, the, you know, there have been smear campaigns against her. And uh, the, my favorite part of the show is when she would read, because they are, you know, A&E is legally obligated uh, to air. She would read the letters or statements from Scientology, you know, saying, you know, everything that she's saying is wrong, and here's why. She would read them directly to the camera and then just, like, give this look to the camera like, bitch, please, you know, but it was fabulous. Like, you know, it really, it, she is just really, I think, uh, somebody who's so brave and is doing this because she in part feels like, you know, she needs to 
for her own life, make right the fact that she was with this organization that does so much harm for so long. And, you know, she doesn't, she wants to, she wants to make it right, you know, with, mm -hmm. for herself and for the people who don't have this platform. So it's available to watch in its entirety on Hulu. And I would just, I would strongly suggest you check it out. We're, we're, we're kind of going deep with Los Angeles stories here towards the end of our list, Kristen. Yes. And I, I, I find it kind of interesting that, you know, we're moving from the uh, wondrous fantasy land of West Hollywood and Vanderpump Rules <laughs> into the horrific fantasy land of Scientology, which famously basically has a castle in Hollywood. Yes. Um, to a story that uh, also could have kind of only happened uh, in the most heavily mediated city on Earth. Um, you know, Kristen, the O.J. Simpson story... <sighs> is something that we will not stop talking about this week, I assume, because nope. it, it, it loomed large over the 20 teens in all kinds of ways. Um, but OJ Made in America, the uh, multi-part documentary series uh, by Ezra Edelman, which somehow won an Emmy and an Oscar. Still not sure how that happened exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard to imagine that there will ever be a depiction of this story that just feels quite as expansive. Um, OJ Made in America, you know, it is a documentary reconstruction of, uh, you know, the uh, murder trial, which kind of dominated, and in some ways, you could argue, helped to launch the notion of reality television. Yeah. Um, you know, years before the kind of competition series really popularized it. Um, but Edelman kind of goes soup to nuts with everything, with O.J. Simpson's life story, um, with the broader story of race in Los Angeles and race in America in the decades leading up to it. Um, the you know, Made in America's depiction of uh, you know what was going on. Uh, in the, it, it, what was going on in Los Angeles in the late 60s mm -hmm. and, and the strangeness of the fact that, you know, while this horrific violence was happening, OJ was like a USC superstar who seemed kind of blissfully unaware of right. all of that. Um, you know, it, it is just such an incredible reconstruction of like the second half of the 20th century in America through the prism of this horrific uh, man and the horrors of, of, of the culture kind of kind of all around him. Um, there's a million people who get interviewed. Seemingly everybody who was ever involved in the case gets interviewed. Yes. So, you know, Made in America does kind of function as like for people who were alive to watch the trial as, as you and I both were. Mm -hmm. There is this sort of like, you know, sequel aspect of it of just kind of seeing all these people again, seeing them talk about this event so many years later um but you know it's 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 hard to really like pin down everything that made in america is doing it just sort of feels as if you know it's an example of of a documentarian starting with a case that was already seemingly as in-depthly covered yeah. as any case has ever been covered and remarkably just finding whole new ways to approach it whole new ways to approach it and, and it's it's kind of how it sits in the history of, of race in, in yeah. america and what it says about the kind of city around I really I went into it thinking like what can it tell me that I doesn't that I don't already know you know about this case about OJ and in fact you know it really does frame his life in a way where he got to the point where he could be the guy who says I'm not black I'm OJ you know mm -hmm. and like there's so much that leads up to that uh, that is fascinating to me and you know because there were so many factors that went into his trial and and what happened at his trial and his acquittal and uh you know it really just did it was fascinating to me I, yeah. and and just very you know of course it came at a time i think shortly after uh people versus oj simpson right or around the same yes. time and yes. which was another really 
good look at that case that in I think the large uh, takeaway from that case was sort of the the rehabilitation and the redemption of Marsha Clark and her image, you know, and how unfairly she had been portrayed. And that was another thing that went into it. But anyway, it was just, I agree, this was, uh, there was a lot of OJ stuff that happened around that, uh, you know, quote, anniversary, uh, including... <laughs> Oh my God! The If I Did It special. Do you remember that they aired that? Oh yeah. Oh I God, mean, that'll go on know, our worst list. Um, it's it's high up on the worst list. And again, I just think that like you know everything you're saying is so right on, Kristen. And, and the fact that like you know again the O.J. Simpson story in the '90s and and the way in which it kind of tendrilled into the reality culture of this century. Uh, you know, you mentioned the People v. O.J., which has the kind of wonderful and freaky Kardashian connection. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. Kardashians, I assume, are not going to appear in this episode. We'll see what your number five <laughs> is. Um, but I will, you know, you know, and that is certainly a big part of the story. But again, you know, with OJ made in America, you know, there, there's such a history of Los Angeles and race in America from, you know, the Watts uh, uprising through the Rodney King event, which is covered in depth. And, you know, I, I just think that, like, you know, um, this was a part of ESPN's kind of broader 30 for 30 project, uh, of which, by the way, there are many, many great entries yeah. that, you know, could certainly be. It could certainly um, belong on here, but this one just obviously stands uh, stands apart and is totally essential viewing. Um, it's available for purchase on Amazon, and then I believe you can also use Watch ESPN with your cable subscription, which I know are words people love to hear mm -hmm. when it comes to figuring out how to oh watch. Oh my god, something. trying to log in with your provider, like, oh my god, Lord, give me strength. <laughs> Again, people, all you have to do is subscribe to CBS All Access and you're fine. You don't need anything else. You don't need it's anything else. It's the only thing you need. Television. Oh uh, Kristen, my god. Finish us up here. What do we all got? All right. All right, Darren. Uh, my final show on our list here is Teen Mom, which premiered <gasps> in 2009. Teen, Teen Mom may be one of television's most misunderstood shows. Yes, the MTV reality series, which follows young couples raising the kids they had while they were still kids, has produced it, its fair share of tabloid headlines from arrests and jail time to breakups and even a sex tape scandal. But the series has also been a force for good in the world, helping to reduce the teen pregnancy rates a record 5.7% since debuting in 2009. And it's precisely because the producers have crafted Teen Mom as an engrossing soap opera so that its message hey kids, having a baby when you're 16 is really, really hard, continues to get through to MTV's young audience. As trashy as the tabloid stuff gets, the Teen Mom series continues to deliver some of the most emotional, authentic, and heartbreaking stories about the human condition. For the last decade, the show has chronicled the lives of four women, Macy Bookout, Caitlin Lowell, Amber Portwood, and Farrah Abraham, uh, and, you know, the lineup has changed over the years. But it also tells the stories not only about them as mothers. Uh, it tells stories about addiction, mental health issues, spousal abuse, and the day-to-day -day work that goes into building a healthy family. And, you know, we've watched one of the central couples, Tyler and Caitlin, grow from baby-faced high school sweethearts to self-sufficient adults. And, like, there's so many things I love about the show and about the relationships, but the level-headed maturity that Tyler brings to his relationship with Caitlin, as well as his dad's his dad Butch's struggle with addiction continues to amaze me. Some of the most heartfelt moments are Tyler talking about, you know, his dad getting clean, his dad relapsing, interacting with his dad, you know, as he's 
coming out of jail and trying to get him on the right path. It would have broken, you know, most people. But Tyler has really just grown up to be such a, a outstanding and level-headed guy. It's just incredible with some really difficult circumstances, and yet he moves past them. And, you know, these children, I've watched these kids, you know, whether it's Macy's son, Bentley, Amber's daughter, Leah, so many kids that I've watched grow up and I really, you know, I care about them. I want to make sure they're happy. And like you see that their parents love them and are really doing the best by them that they can. And part of that is by filming the show now because it, you know, provides them with income and uh, and a platform to do whatever else they want to do. A lot of times it's like they create their own line of clothing or whatever. Um, You know, there is, it's a double-edged sword for sure, but I do think uh, that this show definitely gets ignored as as a documentary when it really shouldn't. I think I would I would liken it to the Seven Up series, um, you know, where you really watch the lives of these people um, as they as they age. And this is something that I think does the same thing. Yes, it also happens to be a really compelling sort of soap, but I don't think that devalues it. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 right there with you, Kristen. This was on my kind of longer list. Uh, I I have kind of gotten into it more in the Teen Mom OG. Phase, yeah, yes, um, yes. Which has kind of like picked up with with a lot of the people that started on on Teen Mom, and you know, just as a cross section of how people react to being uh, filmed all the time. It's pretty remarkable that, you know, you have people, uh, you know, you mentioned Tyler and Caitlin who kind of really seem to have their heads generally on, on straight. Um, you know, somebody like Gary. I love Gary. Oh, Gary. Gary seems like someone I love Gary's like, wife. He, th- those are people who, as you kind of said, to a certain extent, their job now is this show. Yeah. But, but, but the ways in which they kind of make that work for themselves is interesting. Um, there are people on Teen Mom OG who do not seem to have reacted very well to right. all of this sure. and, yep. and, and, and I find that kind of interesting as well um, I do think that you were kind of mentioning the documentary aspect of this show and you know the fact that you now see the producers as yeah. a really vivid part of the experience is pretty fascinating and, and I think that you know again thinking about these never-ending reality shows yeah. and the ones that can kind of alter or refurbish or um, you know, really complicate themselves as they go along. I, I think that decision is pretty remarkable. And yeah. it adds a whole new layer to the experience. And um, but yeah, I'm 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 kind of right there with you. I think that um it's a little too easily um kind of tossed aside when we talk about the reality shows that have really done something interesting and complicated and as you said you know the things that you struggle with about it are also the things that are very frequently uh, what make it really unique and and really kind of fascinating and the way in which it does kind of you know just the way it kind of covers drug addiction yeah which is a a fact for multiple different arcs on the show i mean um, there's i I think it's really very unblinking yeah there's like such a a sort of traumatizing storyline that happened with Macy and her ex Ryan, who's a jerk. Like Ryan's a jerk. He was never a good guy to her. He wasn't supportive, whatever. But he he went down this spiral, and clearly at one point they were filming him, and he was high as fuck. Like I'm, yeah. and he was not in a good place. And I remember watching, thinking like what is wrong with him? Like, he is not well. Somebody help that guy soon after he goes into rehab. And like, I am emotionally invested in this because that's Bentley's dad. And, you know, the 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 fact that they had to deal with co-parenting with a father who is struggling with addiction and, you know, in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, like, that's a reality for a lot of people. And, you know, it's not explored 
in in a way, yeah. you know, especially for young people or, uh, you know, people dealing with this in their family. And so I think they've done a really good job with that. I think all of these people, for the most part, some exceptions yeah. are good parents, really doing trying to do the best by their children. And, you know, who can't relate to that? Um, so, yeah, I do. I, I think uh, I've always been a champion of teen mom, and I think it does get um, it does get sort of dismissed unfairly. Uh, I think it uh, does Emmy worthy work. And that's why I'm putting it on my list of the best reality shows of the decade. You can go back and watch seasons of Teen Mom on MTV.com. It's also, uh, you know, currently basically always on. (laughs) (laughs) This is the good thing about about some of the shows that are on cable is if they've been on for a long time, they're probably on in reruns. Uh, Kristen, that wraps it up for this week, uh, but we are going to be coming back for the next uh, several weeks, each time doing a different list like this, looking back over the 20 teens. And we do want to hear from our listeners. It's been a while, gang. We're excited to be back. We're excited to be kind of taking this more expansive look at the decade as it is coming to an end. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, some of your favorites, Tell us uh, what we missed from reality. Tell us what you think reality is, uh, because we're clearly still sort of defining that as know. we go. I don't know. We're not sure. We're not sure. Uh, tweet at us. Uh, she's at Kristen G. Baldwin. I'm at Darren Franich. Uh, hey, if you like this show, give us a rating. Give us a review. We're there on Apple Podcasts. We're there wherever you get your podcasts from. Radio.com. That's a good place. Um, what other places are we available? It's been a while since I've We've got this. Stitcher. We've got Google Play. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So. Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, let us know what you think. We're critics, which means, unfortunately, we have to receive criticism. Uh, and we love to hear it and love to hear what we can do to make this show better. Uh, until next week, I should have a catchphrase, but I don't. So goodbye. Goodbye.